passion too coming across from the people asking the questions as well. It's, it's a it's a, a store that's touched a lot of people over the past thirty years, right? So uh, uh, it's, it's been great to see. All right, we're gonna get started. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, DJ, if you will, Sammy Yunan. On December 31st, uh, 2016, a Toronto institution, Honest Ed's, permanently closed. For many Torontonians, it was a difficult death. One of the reasons for Ed's demise was fans treated the institution like a museum and not a store. You can't adore Honest Ed's, but shop at Walmart or online via Amazon Prime, you you have to buy you have to buy something. Literally invest in it for it to survive. It's a store, right? It's not a museum. Just months before Honest Ed's closed up shop, another Toronto institution relocated from its noble home. Play the record, left Young Street for a new location on Spadina. In the nineteen nineties, the Young Street strip between Gould and Elm was record store central. Played a record, Sam the Record Man with those iconic neon records and A&A, Sunrise Records, and so much more. Downtown Toronto had a vibrancy, a third world energy that now is mostly, sadly, past tense. You can see elements of what I'm talking about in Dave Chappelle's 1998 movie Half-Baked, shot in Toronto. The Sam the Record Man records are lit up in one scene. And even the the pizza pizza where dude is getting his munchies, that pizza pizza is now gone. Later, The Incredible Hulk, an Ed Norton Marvel movie, uh, also shot in downtown Toronto in 2007, features one of the final appearances of Big Slice, a delicious pizza joint. That was all shot like Young and Dundas area. And now you can add another film that literally documents that downtown Toronto vibrancy. Drop the Needle, a Play the Record documentary. A record shop, Play the Record, was located at 3578 Young Street, right at Young and Dundas, our, I guess, Canadian Times Square. Play the Record was founded by Trinidadian Eugene Tam, who all through the 90s made sure Play the Record was stacked and stocked with hidden gems, as well as the latest and most notably the freshest music in hip-hop, Drum and bass, house, techno, funk, Latin, uh, electronic, jazz, soul, all kinds of underground dance genres. Play the record was a vinyl church, and the congregation gathered weekly, typically on Thursdays, to receive the sonic sacraments. There's a powerful moment in director Rob Freeman's Drop the Needle documentary where he asked Eugene Tam, Are you aware you created an institution? Not a store, but are you aware that you created an institution? Eugene seems surprised. And yet, for all the creative individuals featured in the documentary, uh, Jason Palma, Russell Peters, Cardinal Fischel, and lots of DJs, they're not at all surprised. Their love for Play the Record is present tense. It was a community and a connection, which is what the best DJs effectively create when they play. Honestly, we've all been to a wedding with a lousy DJ. Yo, yo guy, that's not right. Where's the heart and the soul? And also hurry up and drop Dancing Queen already. You know what I mean? If you have experience play the records, you should see Rob Freeman's documentary, Drop the Needle. More than nostalgia, this is hope. 
Music is one of the most potent glues in our society. It's a bonding agent. And individuals who bring it to us, DJs with their distinct taste and passionate vinyl store owners like Eugene Tam, should be recognized and should be celebrated for their good works. Here's my conversation with director Rob Freeman about his play-to-record documentary, Drop the Needle. We're going to start with one of the hottest albums from 1993 that Eugene Tam had a difficult time keeping stocked in his store. I'm still listening to this incredible, astonishing album. Always from here to infinity. Sound, the final frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. I, I want to talk about a specific moment in your documentary, Drop the Needle, uh, sure. about the uh, Play the Record store in downtown Toronto, because there's a specific record. It's about an hour in that you mentioned, and it is an unbelievable uh, record. Souls of Mischief, 93 till infinity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I cannot even articulate just how good that song is. And even the entire album. Like, it's the first time I heard it, I'm like, this is a hip-hop classic. Like, as soon as it dropped, it was just like, this is going into, like, the archives of, like, you got to listen to this if you want to understand hip-hop. Yeah, no, and uh, Never No More is on that album as well. There's a lot of great songs from that album. And Hieroglyphics all together, overall, was such a great uh, collective uh, unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, when uh, Agile said that, I'm like, oh, sweet, we get to try to incorporate that so you know my, my thing when i was making the movie was trying to incorporate as many references and top references and the people or music or whatever the case may be try to incorporate as much as possible without kind of overfilling it mm-hmm. but the way he dropped uh, that reference to souls of mischief made that a very easy one to incorporate to make sure that uh, you know there's a little reference point like at this time period this was the song mm-hmm. that was was they were fighting over when they were in the store yeah i could imagine it was really it's really good so Gives people some background. What is Play to Record? Play to Record is a Toronto-based record. Uh, yeah, it's a Toronto-based record store, and Play to Record over the very quickly, to be honest with you, became one of the main hubs for underground music in Canada uh, during the '90s and 2000s. So before you know Facebook, before Twitter, uh, before Instagram, you actually had to go outside the house mm-hmm. to interact and socialize with other like-minded individuals. Play to Record was that spot where everyone would together with the music being the uh, uh the glue that held everything in place uh, in my movie uh, my movie and, and as well as uh, other individuals uh, including my co-producer neil cherio uh, together we, we made this movie called drop the needle and what we hope to do is look at how you know play the record became a hub what it meant and where it is today yeah there's an interesting moment where the owner uh a trinidadian uh, immigrant to toronto eugene tam kind of suddenly realizes, based on, I guess, the questions you were asking him, that he created an institution. I don't think he had realized what he, like, the impact of what he did. He wanted to create a business, yeah. but he ended up yeah. <laughs> creating an institution. Yeah. I think I think with Eugene was that, um, you know, the business has changed so much in the past. Um, you know, when he started, he was kind of, you know, business was, it was going one way and he was kind of riding that wave and everything was, but then the business started to shift and he had to kind of adapt and he had to deal with these new challenges. I don't really personally, like, I don't know, you know, I can't say this for sure, but I don't, I think he was just been so busy and so focused on like the business perspective, uh, the business side of things that I never kind of had that chance to step back and take a look 
at the the legacy of, of what he was doing at that point in time. And when we started the documentary, that kind of provided an, uh, an opportunity for him to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's when he kind of started to see, you know, see things from a, in a different light. That's my interpretation of it. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's my the way I see it. It's kind of like getting into university, right? You just want to finish your degree and you're not really necessarily always thinking about what you're going to do afterwards. You just kind yeah. of like buckling down. You got to finish the exams. You got to finish essays. You kind of just got to get through these four years. And then like you'll sort it out later, like what to do with this. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's pretty much what it was for him. Like, but one thing that has always been there is like, I say the business side of things, like he was obviously very focused on the business side of things, but from the get go, before he even started playing a record, you could tell that he was someone who really just loved music in general. Like he just loved being involved with music. Mm -hmm. And that's constantly been there the entire time period up until today is that, you know, he's, the business was there and he was, he was dealing with the business, but he loved you know, dealing with the product, which was the, which was music. And he loved dealing with other people that also shared the same passion that he had. And that has been there since, since day one. So is this a music documentary about a record shop in downtown Toronto, or is this a documentary about taste? <laughs> it's a music documentary because there's a lot of music in it mm-hmm. and we're talking about music, but I, 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 at the end of the day, I think it's a relationship. It's about characters. And it's a character movie, to be honest with you, because the, the one character you can sort of summarize as being Eugene and played a record as a as an entity, right? Mm-hmm. And the other character is the collection of all the DJs and the promoters and the music and the collectors and the artists. You kind of look at them as being sort of their own character. And it's all about the relationship between, you know, that character and Eugene and played a record. And so, I, you know, there's music involved and there's lots of music you're going to hear and and all this stuff, but I kind of look at it as a, as a character study. Like, how, how is it that these two characters uh, uh, interact, and what does that mean? So that, that's kind of how I went into it. I kind of focused on on that aspect of it. One of the characters in the documentary is Maestro Fresh West, and yeah. there was a 2017, uh, 2017 documentary called The Carter Effect, and it covers the impact of Vince Carter uh, yeah. on how he came to play for the Raptors, and he was the one who kind of busted it open, because until then, Toronto was like a hardcore hockey town. And Vince Carter was the one who kind of like started to like open the door a little bit for other interests and other passions. So yeah. for music and the Canadian hip hop that's covered in your documentary, and you cover quite a bit of Canadian hip hop, is Maestro Fresh West the, like the Vince Carter of like Canadian hip hop? The one who kind of busted it open? Yes and no. Um, this is that's an interesting point. When I, I grew up in Kingston, right? And when I was in Kingston, I didn't have tons of great access to to hip-hop music i had much there was much music and there was like one radio show on queen's radio right and so mm-hmm. i didn't have much access to it so at that time period yes i thought uh, i thought hip-hop in canada started with maestro fresh west and his contribution you know to to the, the canadian music scene is, is is immense like there's it's hard to describe how much he meant to the Toronto canadian music industry but another person who meant a lot is the guy by the name of Ron Nelson. Mm-hmm. Now, Ron Nelson started in 1983, I think it is. Maestro was, uh, you know, Maestro's first uh, big album was 1989. But here's Ron Nelson kind of been exposing hip-hop music to a, a Canadian audience, to a Toronto audience for years before Maestro. He's one of the ones that helped Maestro get his first break. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was other artists as well. It's funny thing is that there was other artists that were happening before Maestro that was kind of trying to make their way through the system and trying to get their music out there that also had talent that didn't get the kind of exposure that uh, you know Maestro or say Mishi Me or Rumble and Strong got. So I think that there was definitely you know there absolutely was 
stuff happening before Maestro happened. It's just Maestro kind of, you know, kicked it as an artist in his music, because he made great music. He kind of kicked it up a notch and became that first one to sort of break, to, to bring it to a certain level. And that's what gives him that recognition across uh, uh, the, the country, right? But there was people before Maestro, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that Maestro didn't have a massive, massive impact, obviously, on on the on Canadian hip-hop music. So as we're talking about these different things, like the hip-hop, the, the record store downtown Toronto, like, why was this a story that you want to tell? Well, it wasn't, a, it wasn't so much, it didn't start that way. It started, I just wanted to tell a story. What I was looking for was a, to, to do something where I could sort of uh, show my voice, mm -hmm. my style of filmmaking, of storytelling. And that was the origin of everything. I was talking to Neil, my, my co-producer, and I was saying to him, like, what can we do as a topic? But I had already said, you know, I was already set on, let's make a movie that kind of showcases what I perceive to be my style. He suggested Play to Record. It sounded interesting to me. I gave it a night, kind of thought about it because I didn't know much about Play to Record at that time period. Uh, and so I saw the potential for what I could do with that as a topic mm -hmm. because it, I, I wanted to use hip hop music because that's why I'm a fan of. I knew I could probably use a little bit of that because they sold hip hop as, a, as one of their main genres. So I kind of saw where I could like, you know, uh, uh, definitely a lot of potential there for what I was going to be interested in. But it didn't start as a Play to Record movie. It started as a, as a Rob Freeman movie. Yeah, so who's in the documentary? Because this is a great collection of, like, Canadian talent and, like, people who've done some incredible things. Who's in the documentary? Can you list a few of the names? Sure thing. Well, we have, uh, there's different genres. We focus mostly on hip-hop and electronic music. Not to say that there's not more, like, reggae with Lindo P. Lindo P is in it. Uh, you know, we have DJs like Dopey and DJ Grouch and Mastermind and Nick Holder. Uh, Maestro, Socrates, starting. We have fifty. We have sixty people in the movie. DJ Matt C, Denise Benson, uh, Marcus Visionary. Oh man, so many. You know, Jonathan Ramos. Uh, we got George from Tracks. Tracks was like the main competition for Play to Record uh, throughout the '90s, mm -hmm. and we got the co-owner of, of of Tracks in the movie, which was really great to have because, you know, that kind of competition between Tracks and Play to Record was really fun to kind of explore uh, uh, in the movie. So having George from there, from Tracks, was was a great thing to have. Yeah, so, he was, he, he's still kind of a little bit salty too. Or is he? Yeah, I, know, I think that's just like, he's a little bit like, uh, you know, uh, rough, I don't know what the word is, but he's actually, we love talking to him. We only talked, we only talked to him for an hour, but we came out there saying, yeah, George is awesome. George mm -hmm. is a, was a, was a great guy to talk to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know him that well. I just know that for one hour, he was a, he was a great guy to talk to. And he was, he was a fun character for sure. Mm -hmm. And how did like, so you said you grew up in Kingston. So how does like hip hop come all the way out to Kingston and like come into your life? Rap city was really what it was. Um, I mean, I can't remember specifically, what kind of grabbed me but i just know that well i just know that in kingston you only heard music on rap city or like this one radio station on queen's radio uh which had a, a hip-hop show every wednesday from 12 to 3 in the morning which you know when i had to go to school the next day wasn't the easiest thing in the world to listen to so rap city really was that important you know soul in the city before it and mm -hmm. then rap city and then you added an extend the mix and and the mix which it turned into those were so vital in getting music heard outside of like the major major uh, cities uh because there really literally was nowhere else to hear underground music except for those places this is the interesting thing too that kind of runs through your documentary because play the record started in in 1990 
And so, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, like this was before Spotify, before YouTube, before all these things. And you can kind of start to see the impact of like the technology start to creep in and kind of like uh, impact, I guess, this community. Like this vibrant community was kind of like a little bit decimated by the Internet. Like as much as it kind of helped, it also hindered. It was a blessing and a curse. Oh, yeah. That's kind of the way it goes, right? I mean, like it's it it tore its hearts out it tore the community's hearts out in a way but also it gave the community so much as well and i, I kind of look at this recent news where you know serato being the tool that djs go to now i think i think it's the main tool i'm not a dj so i can't speak 100 on these things but i think serato is the place to go to now for djs and serato just announced this new version where djs now have like so much control over the song and being able to eliminate elements of a song and keep elements and the creativity that they're not going to be able to utilize with this new version of serato has them so excited and has like so much potential from a creative perspective so those things that were that you know they don't have to carry the records anymore on planes they have this they have these abilities to make a song put it onto their usb bring it into a club play it that night technology has given them a lot right and i, I think that they the, the, there's good things that give it gave them unfortunately it also took away some things mm -hmm. and one of those things was a need to go to a record store to buy records the same way they did back in, in the, the the 90s and 2000s so it's one of those things where you know it's good but there's also some unfortunate side effects to to uh the technology yeah, because one of the highlights in Drop the Needle is the the Thursdays drop, right? When this is when Eugene yeah. would bring all the new albums out and people then would be rushing. And like you and I were talking about like Souls of Mischief at the top. That's one that people, a lot of people want to get. And so it was a community. And that is kind of now being isolated again because you're not necessarily going through, you're not digging through the stacks anymore, or like going to a Thursday drop anymore because all the stuff is either like online or accessible some much in a much easier way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, and with it, Thursdays was obviously the busy day, but the funny thing, the great thing about you, uh, you know, uh, one thing that we don't get into too much, but like Saturdays, for example, a lot of people would go down the Saturdays, get off at college or get off at Dundas, you know, start at Tracks, go to which is the other record store that was near there, go to play the record, go to get food somewhere, go to the Eaton Center, go to the CK, the radio station CKLN, which was near there, and it would become like a, this ritual that was a little bit different than a Thursday. Thursday was when people were going into play the record for work like when djs were going in to play the record on a thursday you know they were having fun they were socializing but they were there for work mm -hmm. at that time period and probably still now being a dj being a successful dj meant dropping hit records first and you had to go to play the record you had to go to tracks for the most part uh to get those new records and there wouldn't be that many copies of them so when people were going to play the record on a thursday it was you know <laughs> I think I think they look back at it and enjoy it and see the fun in it. But I think at the time period, I'm, I'm guessing, is that there was also a very, very serious business perspective that even the DJs had when they were going into the shop. Saturday is more like going down, buy whatever record, not worried about it so much, you're enjoying your time, so on and so forth. So there was definitely different days that had different kind of feelings, I think, when it came to play a record back in those times. Yeah, and there's such a vibrancy. What you're talking about too, like you said, you can go. Uh, there's tracks. There's play the record. You can go to the In Center. You can go to CKLN. Like a lot of that stuff now in Young Street is it's gone, right? HMV is oh, yeah. closed, and it's like, and I know part of that is just related also to the pandemic, which we came out of. Obviously, a lot of businesses closed due to that, but a lot of things were closing way before the pandemic. And so when you 
have all this like stock footage and all these like scenes and photos and things like this of uh, of this vibrant uh, downtown Toronto with the lights and the Sam the Record Man and all that stuff. And you look at it now. Are you sad when you go to the to like Young and Dundas and it's not quite the same vibe and the same vibrancy? Are you? Like, I don't know what word you want to use. Are you sad? Um. Yeah. I mean, there's sadness. I, to be honest with you, I don't. Uh, oh, Toronto overall, I have a little bit of a, an, a sadness with Toronto overall. I, I lived in Toronto for about 15 years. I've now moved 45 minutes outside of Toronto, uh, because you know, tre- uh, moving around has been so challenging. And the care, I, you know, a lot of places in Toronto, the character that used to be there has been stripped away uh, with corporations or 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 you know. Uh, box stores or, or condos or whatever the case may be. So, uh, you know, the character has just kind of been stripped away. And, and you know, that's why I think Eugene being still there is important because, you know, as you said, it wasn't just a pandemic. Like much music has been gone for a while. Mm-hmm. CKLN has been gone for a while. The different record stores, there's new record stores there today. Like, like, you know, there's new record stores there, but the ones that were there when people were going to the 80s and 90s, they're not there anymore. So Eugene has kind of been one of the last last one standing for that time period and there's something very comforting in that fact that you still have that something of your 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 childhood or growing up uh still around to this day um you know uh, it's it's sad losing other places it is sad that is the word it's sad losing other places that you grew up with but it's it's also comforting seeing played a record in eugene still there yeah, it's a, it's almost what you're talking about is a, is a lack of character. That's what I find now when I'm in Young and Dundas, right? Like you said, there was like these rituals that people had, and like go to Eaton Center, go to CKLN, go to Tracks, go to play the record. The there's there's a lack of ritual and there's a lack of character now, right? You just kind of like Eaton yeah. Center is just a large mall now, so you just go and yeah. you shop, and then that's it. Yeah, and and that's kind of what what the thing about the movie too is because people then like the younger generation then uh, has never experienced anything different. So when they go down to Eaton Center, they go down to Young and Dundas, they don't know any different, right? They think that this is normal, right? Mm -hmm. So this movie is hopefully going to, you know, the hope is that this movie kind of exposes a time period of, of, of something that they had never experienced before, or seen before, of what was happening, and you know that's one of the the objectives of the movie is to kind of bring people into that environment and get them in that headspace and kind of letting them experience exactly what it was for a, a significant duration of of Toronto's history. Uh, I hope so. Like I mean, that's that's the hope, that's the goal uh, for me when I when I make movies is to kind of get them in that headspace mm-hmm. and so that they could experience it for a couple of hours. Right? It's not the same as actually being there. It never will be the same right. as actually being there. You do what you can with the medium that you're dealing with. That's a good way to put it. So what's next for Drop the Needle? I know you have the uh, hot doc screening on October 22nd. Um, yeah, the premiere is on the 22nd, um, although that one's sold out. So if you want to see this in the big screen, and I think it's a good opportunity to see it in the big screen for because the music is a big part of it. If you like electronic music, if you like hip-hop music, hearing it in a the theater, I think it might be a little bit appealing in that regards. Uh, Eugene Tan is also going to be in the building, which is going to make it a, a celebratory environment. And so November the 6th, Sunday, November the 6th, at 7 o'clock is our second screen at Hot Docs. Uh, there's not a lot of ground seats, le- uh, ground floor seats left, but there is tickets still available. I would definitely suggest uh, getting those because I am hoping that it's going to be uh, just as, uh, you know, again, hoping the uh, environment will be just as celebratory then as it will be on the uh, 22nd of October. Where can people find you online to, for more future Drop the Needle screenings? Canterbury Crescent 
film works some on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. One thing I tried to do in the past two years was obviously incorporate a lot of you know stuff I use in the movie, but I try to expand beyond play, uh, the movie. So I talk a little bit about C CKLN and the radio station in the movie, but there's more than just CKLN that had an impact. So you know, I, if I have an opportunity to post stuff online about you know the different radio stations that I will, the different stores I will, um, you know, I try to to go beyond what's covered in the movie on social media. It's, you know, just to kind of fill in the blanks as it were and to add to it. So Canterbury Crescent, Filmworks, um, those are the places to, to follow if you want to stay in tune for this and then whatever happens afterwards. Because, you know, once, once this is over, then the next journey begins, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we, we got to go from there. Yeah. And the documentary is called Drop the Needle. It's obviously on Play to Record. Uh, record shop in downtown Toronto. Thank you, Rob, so much for like hanging out. Thank you for the documentary as well. That was a great like nostalgia trip just to go back and like I've been to that store many times when it was on Young Street, and so it was just exciting to like see this story kind of now properly enshrined. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I, I it's definitely been a a life changing two years because of the store. I wasn't there back in the day, but mm -hmm. I feel like I was. I, I got as close as you can get to being in that store without actually being in it. I wish I was in it. Mm -hmm. I never will get. I won't have that. But I kind of feel like at least I kind of got as close to the edge as possible mm -hmm. of experiencing uh, experiencing the story. And I and I've, I've been very overwhelmed by what you know the, the story and the scope of the story. <laughs> I I don't have any doubts. Like the yeah. love and the passion is out there, right? And so this yeah. is going to like galvanize a lot of people and a lot of hearts. So thank you. Yo, that was director Rob Freeman. His play to record documentary is called Drop the Needle. I'll have links in the show notes for upcoming screenings. You gotta go. Oh, and I'm Sammy. I'm host of My Summer Layer. As you can even tell from the introduction of this episode, Rob's documentary has sparked a number of emotions because when you're growing up, accounting is primarily based on what you gain. You gain a high school diploma. You gain a yes from that cute brunette for the Valentine's Day dance. You gain an Atari 2600, making you the cool kid on the block. It's only when you've gotten older that you start to catalog things you've lost, things you can no longer gain. I'm Generation X, so I'm used to mourning what has been lost. And one of the significant things that we've lost is digging into the stacks at record shops like Play to Record. Yes, there was a fantastic treasure hunt aspect to the digging. But this isn't an old man, you know, yelling at the cloud, things were better back in my day. It's a solid recognition of how some of our pop culture activities, like digging in the stacks, have poorly evolved. When the Melody Record Shop in Washington, D.C. closed in 2012, cultural critic Leon Wieseltier wrote in The New Republic, he was writing about uh, and comparing online Google searches with like physically browsing in the stacks. And this is his conclusion. Browsing is the opposite of search. Search is precise. Browsing is imprecise. When you search, you find what you are looking for. When you browse, you find what you were not looking for. Search corrects your knowledge. Browsing corrects your ignorance. Search narrows browsing 
enlarges. Bam! That's it. That articulates so much. Search corrects your knowledge. Browsing corrects your ignorance. And that's what we used to gain from digging into the stacks. But sadly, that's a skill that has been lost. We did this for everything. Bookstores and video rental stores and, of course, vinyl shops. We were pop culture detectives searching for clues, putting it all together, grasping at connections. Pop culture was a mystery filled with wonder and surprise. Going into stores like a record shop were surprise parties. We didn't always know what to expect. Play the record, though it has moved from Young Street, remains open on 411 Spadina Avenue. Go check it out and dig through the stacks like we used to do when the store was on Young Street. You know, I, I had this ongoing conversation with Henry Vanderspeck, an, uh, an avid, award-winning Toronto photographer. With his local photos, he has captured many lost aspects of Toronto, like Honest Ed's and the world's biggest bookstore and uh, Big Slice, a delicious pizza joint. He and I are saddened by what the Young Street strip has become. It's kind of slowly going through a painful gentrification. So we've lost so much, but we haven't really gained anything yet, or maybe at all. I often wonder if Toronto formally immortalizes cultural institutions like Play the Record and Honest Ed's through photography. Photos that show the city as it once was, the way we remember it. One time after Henry and I had one of these discussions about photography keeping things alive, what followed that discussion was the Notre Dame fire in 2019. The Cathedral in Paris was gutted by flames. In response to what was now lost, a number of people on social media platforms posted like the usual derivative, look at me, I'm on vacation photos, in front of the cathedral, inside it, all angles. So in a sense, nothing was lost. All the building's details were completely documented once you look past the goofy selfies. Because we grew up with film photography, we only documented birthdays and vacations. There's a large gap in our pre-digital lives. That Paris Cathedral is documented, but a lot of our lives have these huge gaps. Which, in a way, isn't a bad thing. It forced us to anticipate a skill we no longer employ like it's a thing blacksmiths used to do. We not only had to anticipate how much film to carry, like if you're going to Egypt or Paris, you got to figure out how many rolls you need because you may not be always have access to film. But we also have to factor in how much we want to carry. Plus, we also have to carry all the other media, like including CD for the Discman or tapes for the Walkman. Going on a trip to Paris or Egypt or wherever, it meant like no time for like one-hit wonders. If you're going to lug around tapes and CDs and film you're going to be consuming a lot of albums, like full, proper albums. If you want to hear something like Right Side Fred on loop, that's going to require a mixtape. I don't know how any of us were considered lazy back in the day. Everything was upkeep. Everything was lugging around. It was all work. But the hope was that you could stumble upon a song that would change your life or stumble upon a brilliant Kodak moment worth immortalizing. It was anticipation. You were looking up. You are waiting. You were hungry. That pre-digital gap never applied to our cities. CN Tower, the Eiffel Tower, those will always be fine. They will always be documented through decades of photography. But at the top, I mentioned a delicious pizza joint, Big Slice. 
Everything that pizza joint meant to a community. So many people who have memories of that place. That'll fade because time is a rude thief. And nostalgia is a popular superhero that can't save us from tomorrow. Yet thankfully, Henry is one of the few people who with his photos who is documented. It's on the record. We have that and the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk movie. Phew. Nostalgia at its best is an inside joke between lovers with a rich history. If it's just remember the good old days and how good they were wallowing, which is granted something we all do, it's a trap we all fall into like quicksand, it has no real purpose. We have to be intentional the same way that we went into a record shop looking for something. Anticipation. We have to be intentional about the cultural institutions that we want because those are what defines the city, the vibrancy, the creators, the creative types in our cities. It's not enough to be sad for what we've lost, but we also have to work and understand what we've gained, if we've gained anything at all. This documentary sparked a lot of emotions, as you can kind of tell, and I'm still kind of processing some of them. More importantly, I'm rambling. I guess this is me being like an old man, like Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> I should save these uh, emotions and just catalog them for my newsletter, uh, my pal Sammy newsletter. Speaking of my newsletter, that's wrapped this sucker up. Speaking of my newsletter, here's a public service announcement. If you enjoyed this conversation, some good news. My pal Sammy newsletter, let us extend the conversation. And I know. You think of email and you think of negative connotations, you think of work. You think of that sweet senior citizen in your life who keeps forwarding those weird chain letters things so that they welcome good luck. All of that is true. All of that is email. That's because for those people and those emails the E in email stands for electronic mail. So what if? What if the E stood for experience? What if it stood for event? What if it stood for excellence? Wouldn't that be exciting? Email doesn't have to be email, does that make sense? Go to mysummerlair.com slash subscribe to sign up for the weekly pop culture My Pal Sammy newsletter. You will be elated you did. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Spotify world. Play the record, yo.